Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. We just give you two segments of the 12-segment uh, Breitbart News Daily show on Sirius XM Patriot. So a couple days ago, we were talking about colleges and Harvard and all that. And I forget even how it came up specifically, but I had this flashback to Battelle Chapel. Uh, and my, my dorm room in college was right, shared a wall with Battelle Chapel. And since I've graduated, that the school is completely disaffiliated with any semblance of whatever even vague Christian thing they had when I was there. And it's just such a metaphor for our country right now that it, you have a thing that started off purposeful and it's just been hollowed out and is just bones of just, just it's an empty tomb uh, right now. So I expanded on that uh, metaphor uh, in the second hour of today's show. on this whole college stuff that was this week. Breitbart.com is an article that 80% of all grades given at Yale were A's or A minuses, 80%. It is impossible to flunk out of these Ivy League schools. It is impossible to fail. The average GPA is 3.7. Andrew Sullivan had a great line. He called it the bigotry of no expectations. In 2010, not that long ago, it's not ancient history, 2010, uh, 67% of grades were A's. And I bet 50 years ago, no one got A's. Do you remember the, the mockery of George W. Bush about how he was a dumb idiot? So he went to Yale and he was a C student. Oh, what a loser. What an idiot, a C student. George W. Bush had a GPA of 2.35, 2.35 out of 4. John Kerry, the brilliant Secretary of State, climate czar, just spoke at the COP28 conference trying to get rid of coal power plants. The brilliant John Kerry, who had a year overlap with George W. Bush at Yale. He had a lower GPA and never got a single A in four years of Yale. But just like sit on that, like that was that's early media bias. Oh, George Bush, total idiot at Yale. John Kerry. Had a lower GPA. He was idioter. He had a lower GPA. But these guys were C and B students. But that that that's what it was back then. There's no there were, you didn't get A's. And now it's the the bigotry of no expectations. Everyone just gets an A, all the time. And just another example of how all this stuff just trickles down. Uh, we have more states eliminating grades in high school. We have, we have states not only eliminating grades, we have states eliminating all proficiency standards entirely. There are no more standards for reading, writing, math in order to graduate, all done in the name of equity. So we need to know, I say this because we need to know what's going on in our college campuses. We need to know what's going on and we need to stop it, stop it even there. So maybe there was an argument I think the original argument was, wow, these college campuses are crazy, but it's all going to stay in the bubble. And then it was like, well, I guess that's crazy and it could leave the bubble. So let's stop it before it does. That's not even good enough. We need to stop it in the bubble. We can't even allow this stuff to, to fester and grow in the bubble because then it's insurmountable. It's too late. 
So the, the low expectations, the mediocrity, the idiocracy we see in our country that starts on college campuses. So that standards are racist. All right, I want to make this argument on, uh, on the why this matters. We, we all live on college campuses. We all live on college campuses. My, one of my first uh, like protest things I ever saw in my life was uh, ran a college camp when I went to college and they had a die-in at the war memorial uh, during the Iraq war. They had a die-in. They just lay on the ground and pretend to be dead. They covered themselves in red paint or whatever at the war memorial. And, uh, okay, the weird. Just the other day, they had a die-in at the Sacramento Christmas tree lighting and they had to cancel the Christmas tree lighting for developmentally disabled children uh, because they were having a die-in. at the th- So it's the same thing, right? We all live on college campuses now. There is no bubble. All right, so here's my first point. Someone called in the other day talking about K-12 through schools. Um, and, and someone said, uh, I think we were talking about Satan clubs in schools. And someone said, uh, can we at least just go back to teaching the three R's, reading, writing, and just that. I don't want any, she's like, I don't want any anything. I just want math and reading and that's it. And my rebuttal to that is you can't. You can't have just nothing. You have to pick one. Maybe in a maybe you, I, maybe I like the idea that you could just be neutral on it all, but you can't. You have to pick your worldview. There can't be a school. There can't be a society with no worldview. You have to have one. So if you have one and then you remove it in the name of tolerance or multiculturalism, or diversity, or I don't want to offend anyone, or whatever. If you remove your worldview, then it will be replaced with another one. That's part of the trick. Oh, just remove your worldview, and we'll just keep it neutral for everyone. No, no, no. No such thing. That is no such thing. You will not be left with no worldview. Your worldview will be replaced by another one. So you can't say, you know what? Let's just get rid of Judeo-Christian values in our schools, and we'll just teach math. Nope, not a thing because you remove your Judeo-Christian worldview from the school and now math is an oppressive hierarchical weapon used by the cis heteronormative Jews against the oppressed Palestinians and guys. You're like, what? What, 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 what happened here? How'd your tolerance work out? Okay, you, you remove your Judeo-Christian values, which by the way says that truth exists and it's replaced with a different worldview that says, Two plus two doesn't always equal four. Okay, there's your math class now. You can't, it can't be neutral. There is a culture. You can't have a neutral culture. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, you know, there has to be a culture. Culture, as a culture, are the values that bind us together. That's what culture is. So if you remove these values that bind us together, what do you think is going to happen? Nothing will bind us together. So... Something has to come in its place. And it's not who you want. Oh, Slater, how do you know? Who are you to say what the good ideas are? Okay, great question. Uh, Let's figure this out. We'll figure this out based off thousands of years of human wisdom and experience. And then we can all gather together and figure this out in places called universities. And we'll seek out the truth. In fact, wow, truth, that'd be a great motto. Huh, the founders of Harvard, 
The motto is Veritas. Not Veritas Mea, not my truth, just truth. So just to drive that home, you can't remove a culture in the name of diversity and then think some neutral thing will exist in its place. Something bad will fill the void. And it's very hard to get a culture right. It takes a long time. And it's very easy to destroy it. Thousands of years of culture created America. And then we had hundreds of years of, of, Amer of this culture in America working really hard to build up a collection of values that bind us together. And then we just tossed it all aside because some vandals came in and said, oh, that's mean. Or, oh, you're white. Or, I don't really fit into this and it makes me feel bad. So let's all gather together and just tear it all down. So stop with this cultural neutrality nonsense. It's not true. And we, everyone knows it's not true. That's what's so annoying about it. Like, and that's why, that's why oh, I don't want to get off the side. This is why uh, whenever I do my rant about beauty, oh, Slater, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. No, it's not. Everyone knows what's beautiful. When you go to a, you go somewhere in Europe, you take the pictures in front of the giant cathedral because everyone, because it's beautiful. It's objectively, no one goes to Europe and takes pictures in front of like the building that was built, you know, the steel building that was built five years ago. Right? Like no one does that. No one, right? We know what's beautiful and what's not. And we know cultures are better than other cultures. What's better? Our culture or the Taliban? Okay. Ours is. Okay. So we know that there are different cultures. Great. Now, can we get a little more detailed here and figure out in America, which culture we want? Because if you don't, you know what culture we're going to get? You're going to get Harvard. Whatever's going on in college campuses now is going to happen in the entire country. The worldview that they indoctrinate the kids with because they will indoctrinate them with the worldview. By the way, so should you. You should indoctrinate your kids with a worldview. You better indoctrinate them with a worldview because if you're not doing it, someone else is. So the worldview that they indoctrinate kids with will be the worldview of the country. Just give it time. And really, if nothing else, it's just a factor of time. Because eventually you're going to die, and who's going to be left? Only kids who were entirely indoctrinated from kindergarten with this stuff. All right, so where's this headed? Uh, I thought of this analogy the other day, and I said, oh, I got to do more research on it. Battelle Chapel. Battelle Chapel to me is the, the metaphor for our country. So I went to Yale. My college freshman dorm room shared a wall with Battelle Chapel. It was built in 1874. I wasn't a Christian in college, so I never like, went to Battelle. It was just a nice-looking building next to the one I lived in. But now I look back on it, and I see what a, what a hollowed-out shell of what it once used to be it now is it's just it's just a hollowed out sad thing and i don't want that to be our country so all the ivy league schools except for cornell which was founded after the civil war but the other seven ivy league schools were seminaries they were all seminaries harvard was first yale was founded because the congregationalists thought that harvard was getting too liberal so they left and they're like, we're going to start our own school. And the mission statement was that youth may be instructed in the arts and sciences who through the blessing of God may be fitted for public enjoyment, both in church and civil state. Oh, what about a separation of church and state? 
to plant and under your divine blessing to propagate in this wilderness the blessed reformed, uh, reformed Protestant religion in your purity of its order and worship. That's the mission statement of Yale University in 1701. Students were required to live religious, godly, and blameless lives according to the rules of God's word, diligently reading the holy scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, which is the motto of Yale, and constantly attend upon all the duties of religion, both in public and secret. Every student was instructed to consider the main end of his study, to wit, to know God in Jesus Christ and to lead a godly, sober life. Okay, that was Yale. Now, let me stop here because I know you're rolling your eyes. I'm not saying you have to be a Christian now. I'm not forcing you to do anything. Just look at this like an anthropologist. Just look at it objectively from afar. Look at what Yale once was. Look at what its founding was. And now look what it is. That's different. Okay? What's better? You got to pick one. I think somewhere in between. No. That's my point. There is no in between. You have to pick one. Because if you don't pick the one, it eventually will become the other. The one is hard. Right? The founding was hard. That's difficult to keep those standards and values and principles. It's very easy to do what they're doing now. Very, very easy. It's very hard to build beautiful buildings. Very easy to tear them down. Very hard to come up with, with, with like a rigorous curriculum based off truth. Very difficult. Very easy to teach woke courses on Taylor Swift. You with me? Like one is hard. If nothing else, that should be your answer about what's better. Which one's more difficult? That's probably the one that's right. Let me share this story. Uh, when uh, then maybe I'll share a funny one at the end. Uh, from from campus. Uh, so Yale was founded in 1701. Uh, it wasn't long before the students weren't Christians anymore. It didn't take a long time. There was this newfangled worldview coming from Europe called the French Enlightenment, which swept through all the college campuses and uh, and the the kids at Yale in 1795. So 100 years later weren't Christian. So this, this guy, Timothy Dwight, who was the, became the president, uh, there were 150 kids at the time. Uh, and less than 100 years later, they fell from their mission statement. So Timothy Dwight came to campus. There's a bunch of buildings on campus named after him. By the way, don't tell any of the students on campus who Timothy Dwight was because then they'll get rid of him. Got to cancel him. Timothy Dwight was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards, another Yale grad who a bunch of buildings are named after. Uh, so T Jonathan Edwards, one of the most brilliant men ever to have lived started the first Great Awakening, and it was his grandson, Timothy Dwight, who started the second Great Awakening. Pretty cool, right? So he's the adult in the room, and he comes in, and they have the, he has this big debate with the students. And they, they, people don't do this anymore. In college. Like, the adults don't run the show anymore, but he was the adult, and he ran in. Uh, and the question was, are the scriptures the word of God? And the new students, the, the students were, were throwing everything they could about how uh, they're not, and he just crushed them one by one. <laughs> And it was said afterwards, after this, he entered into a direct defense of the divine origin of Christianity in a strain of powerful argument and animated eloquence, which nothing could resist. The effect upon the students was electrical. From that moment, infidelity was not only without a stronghold, but without a lurking place. To espouse her cause was now as unpopular as before it had been to profess a belief in Christianity. Unable to endure the exposure of argument, she, infidelity, fled from the retreats of learning, ashamed and disgraced. That's what we need today. We need adults to come in, speak the truth to the point where wokeism, which is the cult of today, is so destroyed that it flees ashamed and disgraced. 
Wokeism needs to flee, retreat this place of learning, ashamed and disgraced. Benjamin Silliman is one of the great uh, scientists in America, another name on campus, a lot of buildings named after him. Uh, he was a professor at Yale during this revival. He said, Yale College is a little temple. Prayer and praise seem to be the delight of the greater part of the students, while those who are still unfeeling are awed into respectful silence. So I could go on forever about what Yale was, but it didn't take long before Yale went secular and more and more and more and more and more, and now it is actively <laughs> demonic. <laughs> Uh, if you want to read more, you can go to Timothy Dwight's. He gave a lecture, a sermon called The Nature and Danger of Infidel Philosophy. You can Google it. The Nature and Danger of Infidel Philosophy from 1797. And it's about Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. Uh, it's a sermon about that. Slater, here you are Bible thumping. I'm just telling you what was. You think we live in a great country? How do you think it got that way? How do you think we became a great country? The seal of Princeton is an open Bible. The seal of Harvard's an open Bible. The seal of Yale's an open Bible. The seal of Princeton's an open Bible. Uh, with the Latin words New Testament, that's what it says in the Bible, it says New Testament. And the motto of Princeton, again, don't tell this to these people, but the motto of Princeton, it's in Latin, it says, under God, under God's power, she flourishes. Under God's power, she, the college flourishes. We've been so taken over by the progressive secular left. It's unbelievable that we are captives and we don't even know it. So let's just, let me wrap up with Battelle Chapel. So Battelle Chapel today is this beautiful chapel, uh, church, hat used to have a cross. It's got the stained glass windows, like whole thing. It's a beautiful chapel. 1857, of course, it's going to be a beautiful building. And it was run by the university chaplain's office. So a couple of years ago, they decided to disaffiliate from any semblance of a Christian denomination that they ever once had. So we went from being a seminary to nothing at all, of course. So now if you go to the Yale chaplain's website, the front page picture is a picture of students doing the Hindu holy festival where they throw a bunch of like bright colored powder on each other, right? Uh, which, is, which is to celebrate the gods Radha and Krishna. Okay, super. Uh, the second picture is uh, they set up a Buddhist shrine in the front of the once great church. The welcome video from the chaplain's office has uh, Muslims on prayer rugs and a Shinto sacrifice and a pagan environmental mother earth worshiping service. The logo of the chaplain's office, it, it's like a coexist bumper sticker on steroids. You know the coexist sticker? This is symbols of every religion you could possibly fathom in a circle. I don't even know what half of these are. One of them's a feather. What religion is a feather? What's the religion where the logo of it is a feather? I don't even know what these are. So you can just see how the, it, in an effort to become everything, they become nothing, but even worse than nothing. Even worse than nothing. Because there's no such thing as neutral. In uh, the words of Timothy Dwight, to commit our children to the care of irreligious persons is to commit lambs to the superintendency of wolves. This is our country. Our country is Battelle Chapel. It was once a real place made for a specific purpose for specific people who taught specific things. And now it's a beautiful looking building still, but just bones on the inside.
as John McWhorter from Columbia says, the woke wokeness today, it's not like a religion. It is a religion. He said an anthropologist would see no difference between Pentecostalism, uh, Pentecostalism and this new form of anti-racism. There are prophets. There's the elect. There are the bearers of good news. There's uh, original sin, being white or straight. But the biggest difference in wokeism is there's no repentance. So, which way, Western man? Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. Uh, this was on Breitbart.com the other day. Uh, Donald Trump said this is the most important poll that's been done in 20 years. And like he might be right about that. Because if people are admitting to this, there's no way. Why would you admit to committing voter fraud in a poll if you didn't? I can't understand that motive. Unless you wanted to make it seem like other people committed voter fraud. So you admit to it. So it amps up the numbers. I guess that would be your thought process. I don't see why anyone other than that, like why you would admit to voter fraud if you didn't. But, and, but I can definitely see why people who did commit voter fraud would not admit to it. So if anything, these numbers are low, what we're going to talk about here. But wait till you find out how many people admit to breaking the law when it came to the most secure election in American history. All right, uh, a day or two ago, Breitbart.com featured this survey from the uh, Heartland Institute and Rasmussen, 17% of mail-in voters admitted that in 2020 they voted in a state where they are no longer a permanent resident. That's a problem. 21% of mail-in voters admitted that they filled out a ballot for a friend or a family member. That's illegal. So is the other one. 17% 17% of mail-in voters said they signed a ballot for a friend or family member with or without his or her permission. You definitely can't sign someone else's ballot. And 8% of likely voters said they were offered pay or a reward for voting in 2020. Okay, so before I get totally outraged about this, uh, I have a lot of questions. Chris Talgo is here. He's the executive director of the Heartland Institute. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm great. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, man, great to talk to you. So, uh, bef- again, before I go all in on this, uh, I have to be skeptical. So let me ask my, my skeptical questions. Uh, how did you come across these results? So we, uh, we polled over a thousand American likely voters, uh, from the uh, 2020 election and, uh, the responses just speak for themselves. You know, we were somewhat surprised by the, by the, uh, you know, survey findings, but, it also just you know confirmed what I personally believed happened in the uh, 2020 election, which is when you mail out tens of millions of ballots based on outdated and inaccurate voter rolls, you're probably going to have you know a substantial amount of voter fraud, which is what our poll shows. So a th- you asked a thousand people, 1,085 people. Is that a normal? Is that what polls normally are? Oh yeah, yeah. I I'm mean, trying. That's I'm a trying. Very I'm trying to sample size. Okay, I'm trying to poke holes in this, right? <laughs> just so you know, because mm-hmm. I don't want to go in all, all of this and be made a fool. So I'm just because this is like really big. This is a big deal. But if it comes out later that oh well, you know, you know, like what the left does, they'll like manipulate things and then right. 
So I want to make sure we're on the up and up. So sorry, I interrupted you. So 1,085 voters. That's a, that's a pretty good sample size for a poll? Very good sample size for a poll. Okay. What's a national likely voter? Well, it's someone who was uh, registered in the 2020 election and someone who, you know, just admits that they voted. And uh, one of the things that stood out to me was, you know, we waited a couple of years to do this poll. We didn't do it immediately after the 2020 election because I personally think that people are going to be more prone to be honest a few years out than if we had done it in the immediate aftermath of the election. I think that's right. And one of the other things that I think is, you know, uh, adds, uh, you know, verific- uh, veracity to this poll is that these people have no reason to lie. Yeah. Yeah. Why would that? Yeah. Cause I think I, generally I think people answer polls. I don't know. I don't know how accurately people answer polls. Right. Um, because I think there was a lot of that in going into 2016 where they'd say, who are you voting for? And people said Hillary just because that was like the nice thing to say, <laughs> but they're really voting for Trump. Right. So, and who, who, what's it to you? Got ran a person on the other side of the phone. Uh, but why would someone say I illegally fraudulently signed someone else's name on a ballot? Why would you, why would you admit to that? Yeah. Yeah. They, what motivation would they have? And just, you know, one other thing, in the 2020 uh, Democratic primary in uh, New York and Pennsylvania, for example, 20 percent of their mail-in ballots were rejected for typical issues like lack of signature verification uh, or other other problems. So, you know, one of the things we know is that in general, 20 percent of mail-in ballots are rejected for, you know, plenty of reasons. So this actually does fall in line with the historical average that 20% of people who mail, who uh, vote by mail, you know, tend to do it either fraudulently or not, you know, by the book. And in the 2020 election, the lead up to it, under the guise of the pandemic, we know that several states, several uh, governors and secretary of states changed the voting rules to do away with many of those hurdles that are necessary guard rules, you know, such as signature verification. So it makes sense that when you mass mail tens of millions of ballots to people, you know, who don't live in that state anymore or people who, um, you know, are dead, that many of those many of those ballots are going to come back. And, you know, once they're counted, they're counted. We'll never know. It's impossible to prove after the fact. Yes. Is there any way? All right, let, let's go. Through, all right. So let me, I, got, I want to get back to them. Um, did you do it by phone? Is that how this one was done? Yes, by phone. Okay. Is that how we do it these days? These polls? Yes. Yep. Okay. What's the other way? What else? How else could you do a poll? Well, you could do it by internet. Yeah. That that seems less trustworthy to me. I guess. Yeah. I no. We 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 completely agree. You know, we we like doing polls. We do a couple per year, and uh, you know, doing it by phone is the you know best way to do it. Okay. Rasmussen is a very uh, you know good organization. They do great polling. They are not a quote right wing, you know, organization by any means. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the second question was who'd you vote for? Uh, and it's about split. Forty five percent Trump, forty five percent Biden. So that's interesting. Um, number three, did you vote with an absentee or mail in ballot in twenty twenty? Thirty percent said yes. Is that about right? Yeah. So 30% said yes overall, but here's, here's the crux of the matter. 
Uh, and, you know, we verified this, uh, you know, with the uh, Cook Political Report and some other um, uh, websites. In the 2020 election, you know, we had more people vote by mail than any time in history. And the amount of Biden voters, the proportion of them who voted by mail dwarfed those who voted for President Trump by mail. 60% of Joe Biden's total voters voted by mail versus only 23% of Donald Trump voters. So even if you, even if you do say to yourself, okay, fine, maybe 20% of Trump voters who voted by mail also, you know, committed fraud. That's a fair assessment to make, but the Mm. sheer volume, you know, of Biden voters who voted by mail compared to Trump voters was, you know, a, a much higher percentage. So they don't cancel each other out. Yes. Give me those numbers one more time. What percentage of Trump voters or Biden and Trump voters voted by mail? It was two to one. It was about six, uh, 58% of Biden voters versus just under 30% of Trump voters. Yes, very interesting. So if there's an equal amount of fraud, then obviously that would be a two to one advantage still for Joe Biden. Okay, very interesting. Okay, so what are, <clears throat> let's go over some of the ways of fraud. So the first one, this one is the most concerning to me. This would be voting in a state where you're no longer a permanent resident. So 17% of mail-in voters in 2020 said they voted in a state where they're no longer a permanent resident. Give me a scenario of what that would look like. Okay, so let's say you lived in California and you moved in 2019. You're still on the voter roll in California. So when California did their universal mass mailing of ballots to all people on the voter rolls, that ballot went to that person's residence. Whoever happened to be at that person's residence in 2020 could very easily have just filled out the ballot and dropped it into a Dropbox or sent it back into the mail and and illegally voted on behalf of that person. And it wasn't just California. So eight states have universal absentee mail. But once again, under the pandemic, several other states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, also did the mass mail-in, uh, mass mailing of ballots to all people on their voter rolls. Insane. Okay, can I make up another scenario? Let me know if, if I'm if this is way off base. Uh, you live in Nevada. You've lived there for forever. Uh, COVID hits. All the casinos shut down, and you're like, "Well, there's nothing for me here." So I moved to uh, I'm moving to Arizona or whatever. Live with family in Arizona. You forward your mailing address. Because that's what you do. But you didn't change your voting registration. Like, who does that? So uh, the ballot was mailed to you at your Nevada address and then forwarded to your Arizona address. And you just use that to vote, even though you don't live in Nevada anymore. Do you know what the laws are in these states about how long you have to be in a state in order to be considered a permanent resident? Or how long after you leave are you no longer a permanent resident? That, that's a good question. I don't have the exact answer, and I'm pretty sure that it varies by state. I However, think it's 30 days. Uh, 30 days. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds about right. But, but uh, you know, in many of those states, you had uh, people uh, who don't live there anymore still receive ballots at that resident, and we'll just never know what happened to those ballots. So, yeah, I'm, think, I'm thinking of the scenario where someone does they do get it. They get their ballot, but they just don't live there anymore. So it was forwarded to them somehow, and they vote anyway, even though they're not there anymore. But either way, 17% of mail-in voters admit, and I think your argument earlier was that it could be even higher, because why would you admit to that unless you did? And there is a yeah, reason we, why you would say you didn't when you did. 
<laughs> so that's probably yeah, even we, higher. We, we we think we think that is a low number. We think that's a pretty conservative estimate, actually. Okay. <laughs> so are voted in a state where you're no longer permanent resident. So just to be clear, that's illegal, right? Oh, that is blatantly illegal. And you know, one one other uh, scenario that we think was probably very highly likely because this happened to a couple of the people who work at our uh, organization. Let's say uh, your uh, your your child is away at college. Or let's say your your spouse, you know, is not as politically active as you are. You could so easily just take their ballot, you know, vote on behalf of them, sign sign the ballot for them, and drop it in the you know drop off box. And once again, there's another vote. Yeah, of course, that one's easy. That's your next point. Let me let me finish this one up though, quick. Um, so, is there a way to go back and check? So, is there a way? Is it is it physically possible to go back and say, okay, we're going to go through the votes in Nevada? And we're going to see what where these people actually lived in November of 2020. Or is that not even a thing that's possible? I don't think that's possible. I, I remember in the uh, in the weeks after the 2020 election, there were a bunch of uh, campaigns to do stuff like that, and you know they were they were obviously um, uh, not successful uh, because it's it, it's so difficult to prove voter fraud. Voter fraud is not something you can easily prove because once those ballots are cast, you can't access them. You can't go back and match the ballots to the voters. Yeah, gosh. Okay, how about this? Uh, this is the one you just mentioned. 21% of mail-in voters admitted that they filled out a ballot for a friend or a family member. Okay, let's give the uh, like the like the most basic, uh, least nefarious example. Um, Slater, I don't, I don't know who the judges are in this race like you like you're a political guy can you just just tell me who to vote for and who, who to just here just you do it you fill it out uh is that illegal yes yes that is illegal you cannot have someone vote on your behalf especially uh on a mail-in ballot now there are you know uh certain uh certain situations where if someone's infirm or if they're you know, can't read or something like that. Of course, you can have someone assist you, but you cannot have someone vote on your behalf, especially because that requires a signature. Which is the next one. 17% of mail-in voters said they signed a ballot for a friend or family member with or without his or her permission. So this would be, uh, my wife's not politically active and uh, we've had the ballot sitting on the ballot on the counter all, all week and uh, she's at work or whatever. And it's like, oh, honey, we got to mail these in today. Let me just fill it out and I'll just sign your name real quick. Is that illegal? That's illegal. That's illegal. And uh, several states, once again, under the guise of the pandemic, did away with a signature verification. And now, obviously, signature verification is not the, the best way to verify uh, that the uh, you know, voter is who they say that they are, especially because if you think about it, if, if it's someone in your household, you could probably forge their signature you know, pretty closely. But states you know, went out of their way to do away with you know those mechanisms that are in place and have been in place you know forever to make sure that this does not happen which it would and you know you know what that tells me that tells me that they did this on purpose talking with chris talgo he's the executive director of the heartland institute who ran this survey it's on breitbart.com of course uh, real quick on uh, signatures i just happened to well i didn't happen to remember the uh, the mayor of boston she sent out that invitation for uh, a electeds of color only Christmas party. Yeah. Anyway, so I went to her Wikipedia page just to look. I just want to confirm that she went to Harvard and of course she did. And uh, on Wikipedia, sometimes they put up the people's signature. Uh, so I just noticed her signature. It's just two little squiggles. 
So I don't like there's no, just, no letters at all, no even semblance of a letter. Uh, so like I don't know how you would ever verify that. So even the idea of verifying a signature is uh, it's often an impossible task anyway. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, for sure that you know it it, it it's not one hundred percent you know guaranteed to uh, to prevent uh, voter fraud. But there are, you know, cases that, you know, and, and when I when I go to vote, uh, at least, you know, in years past, they did, uh, you know, check my signature on my voter registration card against the signature that I put in place in the book when I went to go poll, when I went to go vote. So, I mean, th- those are common sense measures, you know, even even, you know, voter ID is just common sense. But the 2020 election was unlike any other in history, yet we're still always told it was the most safe and secure and you cannot question it. Yeah, that's the biggest joke of all. The safest election in history. This is so, so just obviously not true. There's no way that could possibly be true. Um, it just, yeah, it, it, it defies the smell test. And, you know, one other thing, we did a, a second poll that we released a couple days after this one. And uh, a a very high percentage, 48 percent of self-identified Democratic voters believe that any media personalities who said that the 2020 election was not on the up and up should lose their public platform speaking privileges. Wow. So that's so they should be can't like exiled from society for right, saying that the right. election wasn't secure that's amazing when they said the same thing in 2016 and when trump wins in 2024 they're going to say the same thing again right and 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 you know i'm i'm old enough to remember in in 2000 they were saying the same thing they were going crazy over to over the 2000 election all right so just to review here because we have a few more 17 percent of mail-in voters say they voted in a state where they're not a permanent resident 21 percent said they filled out a ballot for a friend or a family member 17 percent said they signed the ballot for a friend or a family member how about this one? 8% of voters say they were offered pay or a reward for voting in 2020. These other scenarios you mentioned, I can, I can come up with a, like a pretty innocent sounding scenario. Uh, I don't even know what this one is. What does this look like? This one, this one is, is being paid to vote. This one, this one was the one that was probably the most shocking to me. And once again, this one is, is, is impossible to prove because who's, who's going to, after, you know, after they got just, uh, you know, paid to go vote, say, oh, by the way, you know, here's, here's, here's what went down. They're not going to do that. You know, this, this one was, you know, was, was quite shocking. Who, who's paying whom? I've never gotten offered to pay to vote. Hey, who's me who's doing that? Uh, so, so what, what they said was it was uh, a, a party operatives uh, or it was, you know, uh, people who are in uh, get out the vote campaigns, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 pretty sure that this happens more than we you know are aware of. Um, it's 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 one of those things where uh, you know, especially in uh, certain precincts, you know, I think that you know you can do that and you can get away with it. Okay. What? Um, any other results from this poll that are noteworthy? I, the one that stands well, out to me again is the the no, no longer seventeen percent of mail-in voters so they didn't vote in a state they voted in a state where they're no longer a permanent resident. That, that of the four that we went over, that's the one that stands out to me. How about how about you? Anything else I'm missing? Well, I do just want to say that they were not mutually exclusive, so people could have engaged in multiple 
kinds of voter fraud. It wasn't that they just said we just did this one. So there is there's the possibility that they engaged in uh, you know several of these types of voter uh, fraud activities in the 2020 election. Yeah, we never even talked about just going to a nursing home and just you know or right right uh, ballot harvesting. Yeah, and and my uh, the street I used to live on in California, uh, all the mailboxes were open. They were just uh, they were just like. Uh, Boxes. I don't know. Like usually, you know, you think of a mailbox and you got to open the door in the front and you put the mail. These were just like boxes where you put the mail in the top, and it's all just open. Like all the mailboxes were open. Uh, so, right. and then they just put ballots in them. And I don't know yeah. what percentage of people vote, like forty percent or something. So you can very easily walk down the street and go yoink, 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 and most people wouldn't even know that a, a ballot was stolen from them because they don't care. They never voted anyway. So you can just vote for like a hundred people right there, just walking down the street. There were also a bunch of stories in uh, in in the months leading up to the election where uh, ballots were found in ditches. I mean, just the the lack of security to have tens of millions of ballots go through the U.S. Postal Service, which does not have the greatest track record of success, I think, is an invitation for fraud. Yeah. Okay. now, all this being said, have any Republicans anywhere done anything to shore this up in any way? Yes, they have. Uh, okay. Florida and Georgia, I think, are the two prime examples. Uh, right after the 2020 election, Florida took some uh, some great steps to make sure that uh, their vote, their uh, elections are, you know, of the utmost integrity. So one of the things they did is they uh, purged the voter rolls and you have to re-register to vote before the next election, which makes total sense. Mm. They also uh, banned ballot harvesting. Uh, they they you know require ID and uh, they instituted or I should say reinstituted um, you have to have an excuse to vote by mail. Yeah, we did so in Wisconsin yeah. until 2020. Yeah, because some people, of course, need to vote by mail. You know, especially if someone's you know an overseas military figure or somebody. But for for the vast majority of uh, people, you know, it is so much better to vote in person, especially on election day, because. Look what happened in the 2020 election. We we didn't even know about the Hunter Biden laptop story until one week before the election. Oh, wow. So, so you know, there 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 were surveys released afterwards that 17 percent of Democrat voters would have changed their vote just based on that alone. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Uh, this okay. So the way to resolve all of this, the the way to make it impossible to vote on for another person, is to require it in person. You have to go in a place with yourself and do it like we've always right. done which is what the way we voted for for you know the past couple hundred years and uh one well, another question that we asked was if if you uh mail and voting were to be banned would you vote uh in person 94 percent said yes uh-huh, okay yeah so yeah so it's not like oh well you know this gives a more accurate because more people are are uh, are voting that normally otherwise wouldn't so this is giving a more accurate representation of the electorate no 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 those people would go vote anyway all right of course they would all right good we needed those numbers uh really appreciate that chris talgo executive director of the heartland institute where can people read this poll and everything else you guys are doing so go to heartland.org we got the poll up there and uh you know president trump uh, posted it on his truth social account so no, we're, we're, we're happy that this is getting the attention it deserves. And, uh, you know, we are a public policy think tank. We're active in all the 50 states. And uh, we are going to make sure in January when this uh, state legislatures 
uh, reconvene that they put uh, election integrity at the top of the uh, docket. It's got it's to be. It's got to be. Chris Talgo, heartland.org. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Well done. Uh, Trump said the most important poll released in the last 20 years came out yesterday, stating that 20% of the mail-in ballots in the presidential election were rigged or defective. This means the election was a giant scam. You cannot have a fair and honest election as long as there are mail-in ballots. It's true. Cheating will always be prevalent. France and many countries have stopped the madness. They stopped it, like, I think in 1978 they stopped it. The Republican Party must do something now. Indeed. I'm American-made. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, on Monday show, we never got this week to the great flattening. But maybe we can get to that on Monday. And also, I have been just collecting probably two dozen, which is kind of a problem now, but two dozen stories about cell phones and like England thinking about banning cell phones. And I have some numbers here about test scores, not just in America, but in the developed world going down starting in 2012, which is when the flip phone turned into the, the smartphone. That's one reason for the demise of the... So should we be banning cell phones in schools and, and even countries? <laughs> this is now the conversation. We're at, and I'm here for it. I love this conversation. So I think we should do that on Monday as well. Either way, we'll see what happens during the weekend. We got you covered on Monday. Breitbart News Daily. Have a great weekend. Spread the word.